Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories, to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. And today's forgotten story, the oath of office and of citizenship, and why an oath. And if you remember on our past shows, Lydia talked about bravery, an attribute of success and happiness in this land of liberty, opportunity, and hope. And she talked about several different people, Elizabeth Deegan, James Trimble, Wharton and his family, John Heisterberg and his family. And what did they all share in common? They were all brave. They all did things to further their lives, to further their families, for opportunities. So they showed bravery in coming to America. Yep. And they left everything behind. The Deegan family, they left Switzerland and all the civil unrest that was there and the confusion and conflict in the early 1800s. They only lived there in Switzerland for six generations. So you can imagine what that would be like to leave your homeland after having those kind of roots. And the Whirlton family left England because there wasn't religious liberty there. And they needed, they wanted to worship the way they felt that was right for them. They left their native land and home of their forefathers. And the Heisterberg family left Germany. Germany at the time in the 1800s had mandatory military training for teenage boys. And their family had a hard time with that because they were always fighting in what they felt were just needless wars and often would lose their sons, and then they would have no one to help them with survival, which back then it was, you work the land, you milk the cows, you raise the crops, etc., and you need your family to help you do that, to help you survive. And so they left for America so they could have an experience peace. And Lydia, when these people came to America, when they became Americans, what did they have to do to become a citizen? And could you tell our listeners what that is called when somebody becomes a citizen coming from another country? 
Yeah, when you come from another country, you have the opportunity to become a naturalized citizen. So there's a natural born citizen, and that means you were actually born here on the land of the United States of America. It's also called citizenship by blood, or you're born to parents who are both citizens of the United States of America. But a naturalized citizen is there's a certain process you have to go through in order to become, quote unquote, an American And you have to pass, for instance, the American citizenship test. You have to show that you know English and know some civic history background of America. There's several others. If you listen to an earlier show, you can catch what some of the specifics are. But one of the things to become a naturalized American citizen is you take an oath. And that's what we're talking about today. So what's an oath? Yes. So let you tell us, please, what is an oath? Well, well, an oath to me means it's a promise. Um, it's, as, it's as simple as that. And when you make a promise, it's something that you do not break. You have every intention in keeping that promise. And oaths or, or promises are critical uh, because if no one can trust you to keep your word, to keep your word of honor, to keep your promise, That just sets the stage for a lot of disruption, confusion. (laughs) Things are not going to work smoothly at all. I mean, what do you do when you enter a contract with someone? Hey, I agree to do this and you agree to do that. And we both agree to do our part. Well, if someone doesn't do their part, it falls apart. So this nation could be better held together if people honored their oaths or their promises. And Lydia, are people that come to this country and they become a naturalized citizen, are they the only people that take an oath? No, actually, um, if you want to, uh, well, if you are voted in a position of office in our government, whether it's local government or state government or at the federal level, the national level, uh, there are oaths that we take before we enter office. And they're different. There's a different oath that the president of the United States takes before he takes office. There's another oath, they're all similar. And um, I have them in front of me. So when we're ready, I can read them so we can kind of compare and contrast. But there's uh, an oath that our congressmen take. And then of course, there's the oath of citizenship. So yeah, they're different. And Lydia, I'm curious, have you ever taken an oath of office? or? A, a- no, I ran for local board of education three times and did not make it. So I didn't have the opportunity there. And I ran for a state board once and did not get there. So I've been trying to take that oath of office one way or another. But nope, that was not my lot in life to serve in that way. But I did throw my hat in the ring. Okay. I know my brother is a district judge, and I've been able to experience seeing him take the oath of office to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And it is quite moving to see that procedure. Yeah, it is. I've seen many state board members, state board of education members be sworn in. Uh, One was my friend. I couldn't make it on. So a couple of years later, she decided to run for state board of education and I helped her campaign and she won. So I got to witness her take that oath of office and it is moving. It's it's uh, there's a neat feel there when people are taking the oath of office or the oath of citizenship. Have you seen people take the oath of citizenship? 
I have not been able to see that personally, but I've had several of my friends that have taken that oath to become a, a citizen of the United States. It's really something I saw. Oh, it was probably about 25 people take the oath of citizenship and, all, you know, all at once. And there are American flags all over. It was in a park during the 4th of July celebration in my state of Utah. And flags all over. They were all on a stage mm-hmm. raising their right hand. And someone led them in saying, you know, kind of like a repeat after me, I, and then your name, and then you go into the oath of office. And it, it was, like I said, there's a neat feel there. There's, I don't know. There's some things that, you know, when you get goosebumps or you just feel that warmth inside or that strength inside, that's what I felt mm-hmm. watching them take that, that oath. I loved it. It was amazing. Right after 9-11, I volunteered to become a first responder for our school district, and we were trained to be first responders in case any situation happened. And we all went down to the district court and got sworn in, and we all took an oath to uphold the first responder code. So that was that's the only time I've really ever taken an oath. And it, even at that level, I found it quite rewarding and sobering to realize that you are vowing to uphold something. Yeah. And that's another synonym for oath or promise is a vow, a vow. You make that promise and it's solemn. It's a solemn occasion. We make vows in other ways too. For instance, at weddings, we take a vow, right? That's a promise. That's in essence an oath between you and, and God and your spouse. And I love that. It, it's It kind of seals it. It makes it for real, it's definite, it's solid, it's permanent. And that's the beauty of having an oath. And in contrast, if you're not making an oath, there isn't anything really solid or binding. Maybe yeah, that's a little word. Binding. There's binding there. Lady, what's the difference in the oath of a president and then someone in Congress? Well, I'll read the oath of office for a president. He or she would say, I do solemnly swear or affirm that's what swear means, it means affirm, that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Woo! Love that. Preserve, yeah. protect, defend the Constitution of the United States. That is his purpose, is to faithfully execute the office of president um, according to what the Constitution says. So, you know, what his powers are. And sadly, I don't see a whole lot of that. (laughs) I mean, there's certain powers that are given to Congress as per the United States Constitution, certain powers given to the executive or the president, according to the Constitution, and powers given to our law or judiciary or the Supreme Court that only they can exercise. And I see a lot of double dipping, as it were, Mm -hmm. the president sticking his fingers in the powers that Congress has and the judiciary, you know, doing the same. And and it's just, it drives me crazy. So we really need to understand the laws of the land of the Constitution. And it's not that long. It's not that big. That's why I wrote Forgotten American Stories, celebrating America's Constitution is to help us realize Number one, read the Constitution and know what those powers are that are given to each branch of our government, because it's important for us to not be dabbling in the areas that really are the stewardship of the other parts of our government. So that's 
is that is that why most presidents and a lot of people when they take that oath they put their hand on the bible because they believe it it's it's a solemn book given to us from god yeah i would think so you think so i mean i know george washington did it was his family bible right yes. put his hand on the family bible and from what i understand he even kissed it afterwards because to him an oath was more more than just making an oath to the people of the United States of America and him, it was also an oath that he knew God was witnessing. And God is the supreme power. We have the supreme law, which is the Constitution of the United States of America, and we have the supreme power. We feel we are accountable for how we execute the powers that are given to us in the United States Constitution, that we are accountable to God with how we take our, our new stewardship, our new office in and government and governing we, the people. We've had, Lydia, we've had 45 presidents and 43 of the 45 have taken their oath of office, putting their hand on the Bible. So wow. So, um, I love that. So uh, tell us a story behind the oath of citizenship, please. So <laughs> it was, let's see, 17. So the Constitution was became in existence in 1787 and 1790 is when we started or have an outline or a system for naturalizing citizens. And so they would take that oath of allegiance for American citizenship. But it was nothing that was ever really formally written down. It wasn't until 1929, actually, when we actually came up with a standard oath that everyone in any state who lived in America and wanted to become an American citizen, a naturalized American citizen would take. So that's kind of a long time between 1790 and 1929 to have just kind of whatever the state that you lived in felt like you should say that would show that you're making an oath of allegiance to the United States of America and to support and obey and defend the United States Constitution. The wording was just different according to each state. Then, like I said, in 1929, it became formalized. So that's kind of the history behind that. But they always swore allegiance to America and in so many words, renounced their allegiance and fidelity to their former country or ruler or potentate or king or sovereign, whatever, whoever was sovereign and uh, agreed to support, defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America. And so we now have a formal oath that everyone says, no matter where you live in the United States. And do we see, is this something ongoing? Is there one time a year that it's done? Or is it is it throughout the year, Lydia, that people can become naturalized citizens? Goodness, I don't even know the answer to that. Do you? Oh, well, I, I, the reason I ask that is because I've seen it you know, different times in different locations, particularly me living in the Philadelphia area of different times where a group of people will take the oath of citizenship. Well, that's neat. And like I said, I saw it during the 4th of July celebration here in Utah about five years ago, four or five years ago. And um, uh, my guess, without having heard your answer, was that when you're ready, when you've fulfilled all the requirements for being a naturalized American citizen, then they'll schedule you for a time to take that oath of citizenship. Yeah. 
and make it official that you truly are from here on out a true blue through and through American. True red, white, and blue American. (laughs) (laughs) I think two of these things go together, Lydia, that President Trump's mother was a naturalized citizen to our country. And when President Trump took his oath of office, he put his hand on the Bible that his mother brought with her when she became a citizen of the United States. So that's tender. I love that story. Yeah. So we see the two together. O's have meaning and depth to that, especially if you are someone that believes in a higher power. And Mm -hmm. especially, good heavens, if you're going to be president of the United States of America, you better believe in the God who helped us found America, helped us establish America, helped America be free from the monarchy of England back in the day when America was just founded or, or discovered and then established. We've got to understand that Declaration of Independence, which states the principles upon which this country was founded, and very clearly that we believe in a supreme divine being, God, call him how you will, but there is a supreme divinity here that we should be accountable to in all our doings when it comes to governing others, other Americans in this country. The two presidents did not put their hand on the Bible was Franklin Pierce. And the other one's a little bit more shocking or surprising is Teddy Roosevelt. Huh. Do you know why? Well, Teddy said that his words should be good enough that if his word was not enough, then him putting his hand on the Bible would not make his word any stronger. Hmm. And Franklin Pierce did not because of his personal religious beliefs. But 43 of the 45 presidents have sworn oath of office putting their hand on the Bible. That's pretty neat. Because Let me give you a quote, Lydia, please, if you don't mind, from George Washington. Let it simply be asked, Where is the security for property, for reputation, for life? If the sense of religious obligation deserts an oath, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice. Yeah. Can you imagine if our word, if our promise, if our oaths don't mean anything, if we don't keep them? How do you have law and order? (laughs) How could there ever be justice? You know, well, I really didn't mean it. When I signed that document, I really didn't mean it. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, it's amazing how I believe that because we have not stuck to our word as good, as honorable, as worth keeping. I know that's why, well, one of the many reasons why America is not as strong as she used to be. We've kind of become a Sue happy people. People. And, you know, I do. Do we have enough time for me to quickly read the oath of citizenship? Sure. Okay, everyone, grab your seats. I'm going to read it quickly. I hereby declare and on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear 
bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. An acknowledgement whereof I have hereunto affixed my signature. And then you sign your name. And then, wahoo, you are now officially an American citizen. Mm. And you know what's cool is, I don't know, are there other countries that allow you to be a citizen of their country? And then you actually become, like, for instance, if I wanted to go to Germany and actually become German, can I become an actual German citizen? Yes, you can. And interesting you asked me that because I know a, a a friend of mine who is a German citizen, dual citizenship of the United States and Germany. And another one of my friends has a dual citizenship of the United States and Great Britain. So, oh, that's kind of cool. So listeners, it's important that when we take an oath or when we say something or when we make a promise that we keep it because – on every level, it's so important in our country that our words mean something. And when we give a vow or we give an oath or we say that we're going to do something, make sure that we we back that up with the action of fulfilling that. So we invite everyone from 8 to 108 to please join us again on We The Kids Radio and hear more of their forgotten stories of America and learn principles of freedom so that we can all preserve our freedom. And something to ponder this week. What would America be like if everyone kept or honored their oaths? And when you make a promise or an oath, do you really honor it? We also invite you to check out the We The Kids website. It's wethekids.us for additional stories, insights, and activities you can do with your kids to help them be proud to be an American and to love and defend America's constitution. You can send in your family story also of coming to America to WTK at wethekids.us. And you can also purchase Forgotten American Stories Celebrating America's Constitution on the wethekids.us website. Thank you so much for supporting We The kids now let's see what those we the kid liberty players are up to hello my name is daniel and i'm a we the kids reporter today I'm going to be interviewing the Honorable Douglas H. Ginsburg, who is a former judge for the U.S. Court of Appeals on the District of Columbia Circuit. He has written many books, one of which being Regulation of Electronic Mass Media, Law and Policy for Radio, Television, Cable, and New Video Technology, which he wrote in 1991. He was born in Chicago, Illinois, and is married to D.C. Ginsburg. As of 2020, he has released a new television series called A More or Less Perfect Union. You can find this show on PBS. Welcome to the show, Judge Ginsburg. Thank you, Daniel. I'm delighted to be here. I have a few questions for you today. Good. That's, that's what I came for. Do you believe some social media platforms are becoming more like publishers on account of them prohibiting so much content from groups they disagree with? It's a pretty interesting question, Daniel. Uh, and I think it depends a lot on how much actual um, editorial conduct uh, the platform engages in. 
um, you know, one of the difficulties of this situation is that so many people can post so much material that for the platform to be held responsible for it, it poses huge practical problems. In other words, the platform is characterized as an an editor and responsible for what it allows on. As I understand, some of these platforms have thousands of people whose job is simply to weed out things that are defamatory or in some way violate their guidelines. And it's a Herculean task. So I don't know if they were held to the standards of an editor potentially liable, whether it would be practical for them to do it. Or maybe they just have to change the way they operate entirely and not let people post things uh, without some sort of preclearance. Um, a difficult question, but a good one. What else have you got? Well, do you believe our government acts outside the enumerated powers? That our government exceeds its enumerated powers? I don't think there's any doubt about it. The powers of the federal government, of the Congress, are clearly spelled out in Article One of the Constitution. And to take the very important example, the Constitution authorizes the Congress to regulate interstate commerce. And for the first century and almost century and a half or more than that, the Congress was kept within those bounds and the courts did not allow it to regulate commerce that was not interstate. That all changed in the late 30s and in a particular case in 1942, record against Filburn, where the Congress had created a rationing scheme under which farmers were prohibited from growing more than a certain quota of their crops. And this particular farmer grew wheat but he fed it to his own cows. It never left his farm. And when he was penalized for exceeding the quota that he was allocated, he said, well, wait a minute. This is not, I'm not in interstate commerce. You can't regulate me. This is taking place on my farm. And it went to the Supreme Court, and, and the court said, well, that may be, but it can affect interstate commerce. How do we bring our country back to the constitutionally limited government defined by the Constitution and by our framers in so many original writings, such as the Federalist Papers? Well, that is exactly the task that I'm hoping to contribute to with the more or less perfect union, the PBS TV series that's going to be re-aired next week. The first step is an educated public, a public that is aware of what those constitutional limits are so that they can hold their representatives to them. And it's clear that you have a grasp of this, but how many of your peers do? Uh, I'm afraid it's very few because civics and education about our government is totally lacking in many major school systems, and it needs to be brought back so that we're not graduating people who are ignorant adults, ignorant young people and ignorant adults who have no understanding of what the limitations on the government are. As I think you recognize, Daniel, the Constitution is the law that governs those who govern us. It sets out the limits on what they can do, those who govern us. Judge Ginsburg, it's been an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. As technology would have it, the phone cut out during our last portion of Judge Ginsburg's interview. I would like to paraphrase his last thought, which we were unable to bring you in his words. If we are ignorant of what the constitutional limitations of government are, we will not know when government exceeds them. If you would like to hear more interviews like this, please consider going to www.wethekids.us and making a donation. It will go to preserving liberty for our posterity, and it's a tax-deductible donation. 
This is Daniel Pack from We the Kids signing off. Thank you for listening and see you soon. We want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to listen and please join us on We The Kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom that established unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're 8 or 108, preserve our freedom. (laughs) 